So we begin a new series today that will go for the next three weeks, and it's called Clay, <clears throat> being clay in the Father's hands. I chose this picture of this vase for a reason, and because if you notice by looking at it, it's not complete, it's, it's broken. <clears throat> and that's exactly how God wants us to come to him. Because that's exactly how we are apart from him. We're broken. There's something missing. But it's when we make ourselves and allow ourselves to be clay and to be molded by God. That's when we're in the place where we're supposed to be. To become the person that God created us to be, we first have to be the clay in his hands. And so just as as Carol just read, Jesus says in Matthew 4.19, he says to the disciples, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want us to, to look really closely at just this one piece of Scripture, and we'll look at other pieces of Scripture that kind of tie this all in together but I want us to really break this down because there's a lot of, of life and truth in this one simple verse. But like usual for most of us, even myself included in this, when we read something like this, it's really easy for us to just read right over it and totally miss what it's truly saying. So let's really break down this passage. The, the first part I want us to look at is where he says, follow me. The first thing for us to understand is that we're not the leaders. We're to be the followers. Notice that it says, follow me. And that me is not you. That me is Jesus. That we're to follow him and no one else. But this is my life. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I mean, I, I can choose and pick how I want to live life. If I want to party on the weekends, I can do that. If, if I want to listen to certain kinds of music and the church says I can't, which we don't, I want to do that. Well, the beauty of it is God gives you the freedom to make those choices. However, you're not a follower of Christ as long as you're leading. You're not a follower of Christ. You haven't got the first part of this verse down if you're leading. If you're the one that you look at your life and you say, I'm in charge, you're not following Jesus. Because you're not in charge. You're not in control. One of the first things that an addict has to do is admit, you're not in control. You can't just quit any day you want to. Otherwise, you wouldn't be an addict. So the first thing we need to admit is that we're addicted to something. Us. We're addicted to leading ourselves. We're addicted to being our own boss. 
So first thing we need to do is admit that we're not the leaders. We're to follow. Jesus says in John 12, 26, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. And where I am, my servant will also be. We're to follow Jesus. A person goes from being self-led to being Christ-led. There's a difference to being self-led to being Christ-led. In, in John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus connects our obedience to Christ in our hearts and our affections. He, he wraps them all together. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. To be a follower, we must obey the teacher. But, but I really, I love the wording here when it says, my father will love them and we will come to them. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you obey my teaching, they will come to me. No, see, he says, I will go to you. I'll come to you right where you are. In your brokenness, I will come to you. you. You don't need to leave where you're at. Just let me come to you. Following Jesus is evidence of our love for him. And while our obedience will never be perfect, it should still be evident and growing. Our faith should be growing. You see, following Jesus starts with the mental accepting of who he is. You see, follow me starts at the head level. When people make a decision to follow Jesus, at some level, they must first know and accept who he is. Even if they don't fully understand what being a disciple of Jesus is, the first requirement is that you accept him mentally. You must accept him for who he is, for who he says he is, in your head, in your mind. Jesus' invitation to follow him means learning from him and believing the truth about him. This leads to a change in our headship in terms of authority. And our head knowledge level by accepting who he is. But here's the thing. When Jesus said to the disciples, when he said, follow me, notice what he did not say. He did not say, I am going here. Or this is where we're going to go together. He did not say that there was a destination. He did not specifically outline the destination that the disciples would be going with him. Number two, he never said it was going to be an easy journey. 
Some people said, you know, it's, it's easier just to live the way that I was than to try and follow Jesus. You're right. For some people it is. But that doesn't mean it's the best option. Doesn't mean it's the best option for our lives. Because our creator, our God, the one who created us, I'm pretty confident, knows what's best for us. The second part of this passage. And I will make you. These five words refer to the transformation that takes place. Notice it says, and I will make you. Who does the, transform, the transforming? Who does the transforming? Thank you, Carol. Jesus does the transforming. Can we, by ourselves, fix the broken parts of ourselves? Can we mend our soul? Can we find ourselves with God apart from God? You can't say, I, I, I can't say to Jennifer, we're married, but then live in two separate homes our entire lives. It, it, it doesn't work. You can't be married to someone, but yet be apart from them. You can be married on paper, and it can be filed with the court, but that doesn't mean you're actually united with them. Because that's a whole nother concept he says I will make you and this is where we become the clay this is where we decide that we're going to put ourselves in the hands of our, our creator Isaiah 64 8 says yet yet you Lord are our father we are the clay and you are the potter we are all the work of your hand we are all the work of God. And we are to be the clay in his hands, to allow him to transform us and to mold us into the person that he created us to be. It's important for us to understand and remember that Jesus invites us to follow him before any change or transformation takes place. Jesus invites us to follow him first. But see, we want the opposite, right? We want to see proof that there's value in following Jesus. Jesus, okay, if you just do this one thing for me, if you just heal my brother, I will follow you. How many times have you heard like prayers like that? How many times have some, maybe some of us prayed prayers like that? If you would just heal this loved one, I will dedicate my life to whatever you want me to do. Well, you're basing your life on someone else's destiny. But you see, your life can only be based on your own destiny, your own purpose in life. Transformation takes place when you are following 
Jesus. If transformation has not taken place, listen to this, we need to evaluate whether or not we're truly following Jesus. That hurts a little bit. But let me qualify for that really quick. Because a lot of people will say, well, where's the tra- I, I don't see the transformation in my life. But, but I, I've said I'm following Jesus. I've given Jesus my life. Let's see, there's two parts to that transformation piece. For some people, there's an immediate transformation. I've talked to people who have been addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, and the the day they gave their life to Christ, they never touched this stuff again. That's an immediate transformation. They could see immediate results from them truly turning their life over to Christ. But then there are people who they give their life to Christ, and the transformation is over a lifetime. They slowly see different changes beginning. The, the people they hang around with on a regular basis, they, they actually want to go to church. I mean, before, they could care less about church. I mean, it never even came to their mind, but now they seem, as they drive down the road, it's like, hey, there's a church. I never saw that church. I drive this way to work every single day, but I never saw that church before. All of a sudden, these things just start becoming different to them. There's a a process of transformation that takes place in our life. But here's the key. Here's the important thing. If you look at your life before you chose to follow Christ and give your life to Christ, and you look at yourself a year later, and you say, my life looks exactly the same as it did before I asked Jesus to come into my life, I would venture to say, you're not following Jesus. You're still leading. You're still leading, but saying, I believe in Jesus. Because there's a difference between simply believing in Jesus and actually following him. You see, I don't have to commit to anything if I simply believe in Jesus. But to follow Jesus, we have to make a life commitment that no matter how hard it gets, no matter what obstacles get thrown in our way, that we're going to press forward, that we're going to pick ourselves up when we fail again, and we're going to say, no, that's not right. I I want to do better. I want to make the decision that honors God with my life. Every year, when you look at your life, it should be different. It should be changed. It should be be in a process of being transformed. Note how Jesus speaks of transformation here in uh, John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Note note two important things in this passage. Number one, it says that the fruit, the branches that are not bearing fruit, are cut off. So those things in your life that, that are not honoring God, 
those things that are not bearing fruit in your life should be cut off because you're wasting time doing it. Because the purpose that God has for your life, those things do not meet the purpose. They're not a means to an end. You need to cut them off. Number two, it says that even the good branches, even the branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes them. This is the part where I'm horrible at when it comes to plants and gardening and all that stuff. It's like I want to put the seed in the ground and I want to water it and that's it. And I want the food off of it when it's, you know, ready. I don't want to do all that extra stuff, like cut it back and it'll be bigger next year. And it's like, I don't want to do it. If you come and look at our flowers, it's just, yeah. Half the time when my mom comes over to see the kids, she's out in the front yard with the kids, like sitting on a stool, like picking off all the dead stuff. It's, I just don't want to do it. But the things that are pruned become healthier. They, they produce more fruit the next time. So we should be growing in our faith. We should never be able to look at ourselves and say, I've arrived. There's nothing in my life that I need to work on. Because I'm pretty confident there's something. If you're married, just ask your spouse. They will help you out. But see, for too long, people have assumed that discipleship is merely the transfer of information that leads to behavior modification. We think that if we just absorb the information that God tells us, that all we have to do is just change our behavior. But see, discipleship is more than that. Discipleship goes to the deepest level of your being. It's about transforming your soul. It's about transforming the way that you look at things, the way that you look at life in general. Number three. This is the place where a lot of us just have stopped. We do one, and, and we seek to do number two. Sometimes we're good at it. Some churches are not so good at it. And then there comes number three, and it's like, not existent whatsoever because this is the hard part because we think that we should always be stuck in number two but number three is Jesus says I will make you fishers of men now this isn't an analogy it's not like fishing for actual people But he, what he's saying is, is that this act of transformation that has taken place by following Jesus affects the way we live and what we live for and the things that we do with our lives. You see, a disciple of Jesus is saved for a purpose. We're saved for a purpose. We, we're to join Jesus on his mission. Note it's not our mission. It's always been Jesus' mission. We just join him. We're just participants in the mission to teach, to reach a lost and a hurting world. 
2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 20. It shows us what this action is, what the hands and feet of Jesus is supposed to be for a follower of Christ. Verse 15, and he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Before we go on to any more, we've got to understand that really well. Christ died for all people. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. See, when we choose to follow Christ, we're saying, I'm dying to that old self. And now I'm living for something new. I'm living for the purpose for which I was created. I'm living for Jesus and the mission that he has called me to. Not, no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died. We're, we're now living for Jesus. Not ourselves, not for what we can get out of life, but for Jesus. Whatever that may look like. So verse 16. So from now on, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the mission. This this is what the church has been extended to. This is what our purpose is in life. Our ministry is reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's not about us. Being on a mission means that we acknowledge that we're being saved for God's kingdom purposes. We become disciples who make disciples. Now, let's, let's be honest. Do you see where I'm saying that we're really good at one and two? But how many of you are terrified by number three? If you're not raising your hand, you're not being honest. And we'll work on that. Because let's admit it, it's hard for us to say, I know enough to be able to teach someone else about how to be a disciple of Christ. I'm still a work in progress. I don't know anything, you know, compared to what, you know, someone else may know. I love, that's that's always our fallback. We always take the attention off of ourselves and put it on someone else. 
I've heard people say, Jeff, you pray such great prayers and amazing prayers. And Jeff's just like, he's thinking, all I do is talk. But it's, it's not about how great he prays. Why are you comparing your prayer life to his? All he's doing is being obedient. He's just praying. Every one of us can pray. Every one of us can teach someone about Jesus Christ. Sim- simply sitting down with someone and telling them what Jesus has done for you. Because if you've done number one and you're following Jesus, transformation is going to take place, right? That's your story. That's all you have to do is tell them, this is who I was before. And then I chose to follow Christ. I gave my life to Christ. And now look at me. This is what God has done in me. I've done things I never thought I would have done before. Like this, talking to you. Never thought I would have done this before. But it's because of what God has done in me. It's what God has transformed me into. His purpose. No longer mine, but his. When I step out of me being afraid, me being self-led and saying, I can't do what someone else does. They need to go do it. Dustin's the pastor. He's, that's his calling. He should go do that. I'm just as nervous. But you know what keeps me doing it? Is seeing the end result. I've had conversations with people that that I'm talking to them and they're just kind of sharing the struggles that they have. And, And through this, at the end of this, I'm like, God, what did I just say? Where'd that come from? I've never connected those dots before in my mind, but somehow it just, it worked. It came out. And and it helped this person. Here I'm thinking in my mind, there's no way that I could help this person where they're at. But it was just me being honest with them. I've had people come into my office off the street and tell me things that you don't want to hear. And... Me just tell them the truth. Me just tell them that they're living for the wrong things, that they're making the wrong choices in life. And then tell me, you know, no one's ever said that to me before. There was a gentleman here that has recently moved back to his hometown. That He's like, everyone's afraid of me. He's like, you're the first person that has stood up to me and not let me, like, bully people. He's like, I've always just been able to use my mouth and get people to back down. He's like, but you won't leave me alone. Well, I'll be honest with you. Knowing this guy's background, I was not comfortable talking to him. I'm like, what's he going to pull out of his pocket next? You know, I mean, scared of this guy. I mean, he could literally beat me to a pulp if he wanted to. But you see, when God transforms you, you don't just look at someone and see their background. 
you look at someone and you see someone that Christ died for. You see someone that Christ loves just as much as me, regardless of what he's done in his past. God loves him just as much as me. And when I think about that and when I see that, it's like I'm hurting him if I don't tell him the truth. I'm not loving him as Christ loves him because I guarantee you if Jesus was standing in front of him, Jesus would have done the same thing. He would have probably done a better job of it, but he would have said the same thing to him. Because he realized that my love for him was so much greater than what he could potentially do to me. Or what he could think about me. You know, I, I struggle with that. I struggle, like, being upfront and honest with you. I struggle making statements like, if, if you're following Jesus, but there's no transformation in your life, and you can't say those, then maybe you're really not following Jesus. I struggle saying statements like that, because I know some people are going to say that and be like, well, you don't know me. You're, you're judging me, and you're saying that I'm not following Christ when I truly have, and they may leave the church and want nothing to do with it. But then I have to sit back and realize that as the leader of this church, my job is to speak the truth. And if you don't like the truth, go to another church that won't tell you the truth. And go to another church that you can sit in the pew and, and like have the happy, smiley Joel Osteen pastor in front of you and tell you everything you want to hear and how you just do this and God will bless you. And Sorry, that was one of his motions. Um, and... And you can, you can do that. But here's the thing. If, if everything is all happy and joy and fun, does it mean I'm truly growing as a disciple of Christ? Does it mean I'm truly becoming the person that God created me to be? No. Because Jesus never said life would be all happy, joy, and bouncy tears and smiley and you know, everything was going to be perfect. No. If anything, he said it was going to be painful. Because the last time I checked, cutting something off or pruning it was not something that was desirable for anybody. It hurts. But if in that pain, we become fruitful, isn't it worth it? Have you ever had a doctor tell you the recovery of this surgery is going to be painful? It's going to be grueling, the therapy that you're going to have to go through. But I promise you, you'll feel extremely better than you do right now. And, and don't we do it? Don't we go through the operation to, to feel better? Yeah. wish my dad would understand that. But that's what Jesus is saying. That there is a price. There is a cost to following me. But he promises transformation if we follow him. But here's what we need to wrap our minds around. Who are we 
discipling? Do you have to have all the answers to disciple another person? No, you don't. It's okay to not know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. If someone comes to you and, and you're like talking to them about Christ and you're, you're meeting and doing a little Bible study or something and, and you're just, or you're just simply you know, having coffee with someone that you know is like going through some things and you're just trying to you know, be an open ear to them. And they ask some question, you're like, I don't know. That's the best thing you can say. I don't know. Don't try and come up with something on the spot. Don't like, act like you know the answer. Just say, I don't know. But then you follow it with this. But I will do my best to find out. Find someone who knows the answers. A lot of times for me in my job, it's not having the answers. It's connecting the person with the person who has the answer. If you call me with a plumbing issue, I'm going to say, just a minute, let me call someone I know that knows how to do plumbing. Because, I mean, you're, you're going to end up with a jumbled, I mean, it's going to be worse than the broken thing if I try to do it for you. So let's find the answer. If you can't find the answer, sit down with someone and do the study together. You know, where does it say this about relationships in the Bible? Well, perfect. Get out your Bible together and, and look and study what God says about relationships. So in conclusion, the three attributes put together when we see in a disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Christ, head level, is being changed by Christ, heart level, and is committed to the mission of Christ, your hands level, serving Christ. Next week, we're going to look at... Um, one of the things that I think that is important is I've been studying this, um, this part of the, the message for next week. It'll be challenging for you because I think a lot of times we don't think about ourselves this way. But we're going to look at where we stand. Where are we in this process of being, going from someone who does not know Christ to someone who is a committed, fully-fledged believer and follows Christ in, in all ways and walks of life? What, where are we in that spectrum? Because the thing is, the danger is, is that we find ourselves being in a church our whole lives and then find ourselves in one day looking and saying, I'm still a child. I'm still at the child level. I'm still at this growing infant stage of, I don't know where to go next. So how do we get you to move forward? How do we start up the engines of that transformation and that change and growth in your life as a disciple of Christ? So we'll look at that next week, and I encourage you, 
to look at your life and ask the hard question, has transformation take place? Has it taken place in my life? Has my life changed since I asked Jesus to come into my life and I made the, the conscious decision with my head to follow him? Has the transformation taken place? Is it taking place? I look forward to next week as we become clay in God's hands.